Hola, mi gente. My name is Jessica Yanez, and I want you to join me for some wine and chisme. The Wine and Chisme podcast was created to amplify voices across communities of color, all while drinking a glass of wine. From wine talk, interviews, and recaps of all things pop culture, join me every Wednesday for the chisme. Please make sure to check out the Wine and Chisme podcast and other amazing podcasts as part of the Latina Podcasters Network. Mi gente, when you find a vintner that is amazing, of course you keep going back to get different wines and try different wines. Well, that is exactly what we've done this week because our sponsor is Herencial del Valle Wines. It was also a sponsor for our Gina de Latina episode. But let me tell you, Guillermo and Angelica Herrera, they began their wine journey with Erencil de Valle Wines in 2007, turning out a series of wines that have garnered substantial critical acclaim from the wine industry. With Gina, we did a white. We did a Sauvignon Blanc. This time, I had the chance to sip on a lovely 2014 Merlot during this interview, and lucky that I had it all to myself. For more information and order, please go to herenciawines.com. I promise you're not going to regret it. Hola, mi gente. Welcome to another episode of the Wine and Cheese My Podcast. A podcast created to amplify voices and share the stories of people from BIPOC communities doing remarkable things. All while sipping on a glass of wine. I'm your host, Jessica Yanez. This week, my guest is Dr. Marilyn Marola. Dr. Marola is a licensed naturopathic doctor and aesthetic injector in the state of California. She received her bachelor's degree in health and wellness from SUNY Buffalo State College and graduated with a doctorate in naturopathic medicine from Baystar University, California. She specializes in holistic dermatology and aesthetic medicine. Dr. Marla loves helping her patients achieve healthy, radiant skin from the inside out with natural therapies and a conservative approach with aesthetic treatments. With the new year, I figured Dr. Marla would be the perfect person to kick 2021 off with. So grab your glass of wine and join us for the cheese man. Hello. There, can you hear me? I can. How are you? Good. How are you doing? Good. It's so good to see your face <laughs> outside of Instagram. Right. <laughs> I know. Same with you. Oh my gosh. I am so excited because I know we've been like Insta friends for a while. We've met obviously a couple of times. You were at the like my launch party. Oh my gosh. Oh, yeah. You were at my launch party. <laughs> And now, girl, can you believe it? We ended the year with 50 episodes. <gasps> That's amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. Isn't that wow. I, I just, yeah. <laughs> um, but I really wanted to talk to you because I was super, first of all, I'm seeing all the things that you're doing. But with the new year coming, even though I feel like a lot of things aren't necessarily going to change, right? It's not like, oh, January 1st comes and, oh, everything's fine. That's not the case. Right. Yeah. That's not how it works. But I feel like people put a different priority at the beginning of the year. 
So I was like, well, what better way to start the year off than (laughs) talking to Marilyn and having her talk about her journey into naturopathic medicine, what that is, things that people can look for in regards to health-wise and if they want to start the year out in a different... Because I feel like with COVID, everything has amplified in regards to how do we take care of ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. But before we get into any of that, right? Before we get just jump in, because apparently I'm just jumping in. (laughs) um, I have my wine with me, of course. Are you drinking? Oh, yeah, you're partaking. I'm super excited. It's non-alcoholic though, but I wanted to join in on the fun. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Wait, I have to hear about this. So tell me about your non-alcoholic wine. Like what brand is it? Like, how did you find it? Is it good? I'm sure people want to know because there's people that I've even interviewed that don't drink alcohol, but that's awesome. So this is perfect. So this company is called Rock Grace. Um, They reached out to me. I had no clue that they existed. So it's basically a beauty elixir. It's infused with crystals and botanicals that um, they're called adaptogens. So adaptogens help you adapt or help your body adapt to stress. So it's a wellness drink. Pretty much. And it's like a good alternative to like, it looks like rosé. Like it no one totally would be able to looks tell. Like rosé. No. Yeah. And they just released a sparkling one too. So they did. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. You're going to need to send me the information so I can put that in the show notes. Cause I have a feeling like people will ask for it. Oh yeah, definitely. That, that it totally it. looks like rosé. And if they have a sparkling one, especially with new year's cut, well, this will come out after new year's, but any special occasion, Oh, yeah. Sometimes I think hard. I mean, obviously I drink, uh, <laughs> duh. <laughs> but there are a lot of people and I feel like, you know, you don't ever want to shame anybody. That's why like when I send out something, mm-hmm. when I sent it to you, I'm like, I'm drinking, you're feel free to partake or not totally up to you. Like I like leaving that open because I don't want anybody to think that they have to drink when they're on here. You don't yeah. have to. I, I mean, it just gives me extra excuses. <laughs> let's not, let's be real. Right. So I think that's awesome. Well, today I am drinking Herencia del Valle. They It's a 2014 Merlot out of Napa Valley. They're a Latino-owned winery. So the aromas, and haven't smelt it yet, are supposed to be spicy currant, anise, sage, and cedar. Ooh, so I didn't pour, good. so this is one thing that I've learned. I didn't pour myself, like normally I love a big pour. However, <laughs> when you have a big pour that apparently does not allow it to the aromatics to fully express themselves when you have a big pour, right? So you have to, you know, do a smaller pour because you can always refill it. But then I was told when you go to a restaurant, just ask them to bring you half. You know how sometimes they have those little carafes or whatever, just Mm -hmm. ask them to bring you half, half now and half later, or bring one of the little like pour only the half of the carafe. So it can properly aerate no mm-hmm. idea right this is what the things that we learn the things that we learn yeah so for the palette it says it's nicely layered multi-dimensional personality with deep full-bodied flavors and a sense of elegance and symmetry and this is really cool because they're talking about the harvest it says this merlot was harvested in an optimal level of ripeness in mid-october the Merlot grapes were cold soaked for five days before the onset of primary fermentation. The fermentation took place at a high temperature to ensure that maximum ex- extraction was achieved before the wine was pressed off the skins after 15 to 20 days. 
The wine was then put into French oak barrels, 80% new, and the balance once uh, where they underwent 100%, I don't know, malolactic fermentation. The Merlot, Merlot was aged for 18 months before it was bottled. So, right? I like to give a yeah. little bit So I'm trying to, I smell the anise for sure. And I do smell the cedar. And it definitely smells spicy. I don't know if it's, I'm guessing that's the current, but let me, let me taste. What is your, t- what is yours taste like? Mine tastes like raspberry. Oh, really? And a little bit of vanilla. So this is a dry, like a really dry red. Let me take another taste just to make sure. <laughs> because I really noticed that the, yeah, it's a really dry wet red and it starts, uh, I feel it like kind of going to the back of my tongue and then it kind of just disappears. So it's not like a, a full bodied wine where the taste really lingers on your palate feel like it's a light to medium bodied wine where it kind of just, you taste it. And then I would say medium body because it doesn't go away right away. And that's how I learned what, how, you know, how you, it says full, medium, light bodied. I had no idea mm-hmm. what that meant, but what that means is how long it lasts on your palate. Oh, okay. I didn't know that either. Right. We always learn something new. <laughs> I always learn yep. But it's, I like to be able to share, like when I learn something, I want to pass that along because, I mean, obviously we talk a little bit about the wine and then we get into everybody's stories, but I still think it's important for people to get, you know, pieces of information as they can put it all together. Mm-hmm. So, well, now we can, let's, let's talk about you, girl, because I'm super oh excited God. to have you on. <laughs> Let me make sure I'm pronouncing it. Is it Marola? Yes. Okay. So it's, and I apologize because... I know you're a doctor, but I just, do you want me to say doctor? Do you want me to say Marilyn? Because that's how you were introduced to me as Marilyn. I don't know. Dr. Marola, Marilyn, it's whatever at this point. (laughs) I know. It's always like when you get introduced to somebody, that's like how you address them, right? Yeah. So, but you are a doctor. You're a naturopathic doctor. But before we get into all that, like, I'm really interested. You are, and like in regards to how you grew up, where you grew up the family dynamic because you're Korean and Italian. So I would love to kind of hear how you grew up. Okay. So I grew up, I'm not from California. I am a West Coast transplant. So I'm from upstate New York in this little town called Corning. It was a nice little town to grow up in. I think for a child, I mean, yeah, there were times when I was born and wish I lived in the city or somewhere more exciting. But I, looking back now, I'm really grateful, you know, um, but my town growing up. So yes, I am half Korean, half Italian American. My mom is hundred percent Korean. She's from Busan and she met my dad who was in the army um, while he was stationed there and she worked on the army post. So they uh-huh. met and fell in love and <laughs> he brought her back home because he grew up in Corning. Uh, I actually grew up in the same house that he grew up in. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> so um, my dad's side, my grandpa's Italian and straight from Italy, from this little town called Futani, came to America, met my grandma who was born and raised in or not in Corning, but in a little town nearby. And... They fell in love. Had my dad. I have like two other two uncles and then an aunt. And um, but yeah. So growing up, it was really interesting because you know, like it 
it was a predominantly white community. And I didn't identify with my Korean heritage. I wanted to identify with my Italian American side. So I kind of just ignore that. And I wore like, you know, like there's the shirts that say like proud to be Italian or whatever. And like all this like, like, be, like weird looks. Yeah. They're like, you look Asian, you're Italian. <laughs> like, <laughs> and my last name is Italian, Marola. So it's, it's just funny looking back on that. Cause I was kind of embarrassed almost in a way, I guess you could say of, of being Korean because there, I think there was like one or two other Asians in my town. There was not a lot. Everyone was white. So how did that make your mom feel? Did she ever say anything? Like, did that, do you think that hurt her? Well, you know what? It's, um, it's interesting because my mom and I are really close now. She's like my best friend and we talk about everything and we've, the past has come up. I know she was lonely. Like she moved here. All her family was back in South Korea. So she didn't have a support system when she was here. And she told me of, um, you know, she had to deal with a lot Mm -hmm. because there's just cultural differences and beliefs that, I mean, I love my family, but I think at the time they didn't really understand or didn't really maybe want to learn or understand. So she kind of struggled there and she told me some stories um, about that. So I know it was hard for her at times. Um, Did she... Yeah. Did she try and teach you her culture and were you just pushing that away? Did she try and teach you language? Like, cause I'm sure, especially not having anybody else, do you have any brothers and sisters that she tried to impart that on? Because I think when you don't have anybody else, you're thinking, well, I'll teach it. I'll pass it on to my kids. I'll pass it on to my kids and at least I'll have that. But if you're like, nah, thanks, but no thanks. Like, <laughs> what was that relationship like growing up? Oh yeah. So I actually um, was bilingual. My mom told me, my both my parents told me the story, I guess. So I've been going to Korea ever since I was a baby. We would go for a month at a time. My brother and I and my mom, my dad would stay back and work. But I guess one time, I was younger, I, I forgot how old, I came back and all I spoke was Korean. Uh, and my dad didn't like that. And my grandma, his mom didn't really like that. So they taught me English again. And I'm kind of... Also, I was like complaining to my mom. I was like, why didn't you, you should have like reinforced the Korean because I know basic words and I can understand it, mm-hmm. but I can't speak like a full sentence or I can't have a, com- a full conversation in Korean. But like if someone's talking to me and I'll, I'll pick up keywords and then I'll respond as best yeah. as I can. But yeah. And growing up, I mean, I was eating eggs with chopsticks, like I came out of the womb eating kimchi. Like, I was like, <laughs> so we did have like, um, you know, my mom did her best to incorporate uh, that Korean culture into my life. And, you know, my house always smelled like rice and I'd have friends over and I didn't notice it because I was so used to it. And um, my friends would come and that's what they knew my house for. They're like, oh, it smells like rice. And I'm like, really? All right. <laughs> so little things like that. Yeah. <laughs> um. That is so funny because I have a lot of growing up, I had a lot of Filipino friends and Filipino households have a very specific smell from the foods. And I and I joke that my house probably permanently smells like tacos because (laughs) being Mexican, I make a lot of Mexican food. I make a lot of tacos. I make a lot, you know, and Mm -hmm. so I'm like, I think my house is one of those houses that probably has a permanent. I haven't made tacos in a while, so maybe it's dissipated a little bit, but (laughs) Especially before when I was like constantly cooking 
like right now I'm changing it up and I'm trying to change things in my, in my diet. So I'm still incorporating those things, but incorporating other things as well that mm-hmm. I think that the smell of my house has changed. I don't even know what it smells because, you know, when it's your house and you grew up there, you just get used to it. And that's just what yeah. you don't notice exactly. anything at all to you. It doesn't smell like anything. When did you realize, like you said, you wanted to be like, you really wanted to really identify with your Italian side. At what point did you think, oh man, you know, I'm also Korean. I really want to identify with that side as well. Was it, I find, I tend to find that it's when you're older that you're like, wait, why didn't we do this? Why didn't we do this? Was that the same case? Yeah. So I would say like, I think towards, um, really towards the end or maybe, maybe beginning, I can't remember that long, high school, mm-hmm. around high school, but it wasn't until college when I fully embraced it. And I don't really identify with my Italian side as much anymore. I mean, I, there's, a Ita- like tra- Italian traditions that I still like remember and like hold on to, like when I go home and like all the traditional food and stuff, but it's like, I'm more want to be involved with my Korean side now. And I'm like so proud of it because, um, I mean, I don't know. It's like, I can't change who I am and just hearing stories. Like, like I said, like I talked to my mom about her struggle and it just like makes me so upset. I mean, I'm, I have such a soft heart for people. Um, especially people who have come to this country and like are bullied or just because they can't speak English very well, or they look different that hits, that hits me a type of way. And I'm just like, want to defend everyone I can. So yeah, it's like the old, now I'm just really proud. That's awesome. When, how, like, did people treat you different just based on the way that you looked when you grew up, especially growing up in a predominantly white area and people look at you and you can say like, yes, she's Asian. Right. But you don't, you don't know people's history. You don't know people's story. You don't know, like, that always is something that frustrates me. Yeah, right. So what was your experience in school being like, bi- you know, biracial? I don't think I realized it at the time, but I think my race definitely had a part or played a role in how I was treated by people. Um, because like I said, I, I didn't see, I didn't identify with my Korean side. So I was just like, Oh, I'm Italian. I'm Italian. And I really wanted to amplify that side of my ethnic background. But people looked at me and I was bullied a lot growing up. And um, I had a hard time with friend circles. Like, and I think that had a, a part to do, or I think the way I looked had a part in that. Um, and my dad told me the story one time we, there's a local ice skating rink. And one time we went there and my dad said that there were some older kids there. I was younger, probably, I don't know, maybe seven, seven or eight. And I'm ice skating, I'm doing my thing. And I didn't notice this, but my dad said he noticed a group of teenagers looking at me and they're like snickering and like, um, like laughing about me. And I think they're like saying, come here or something or like saying something to me. I don't even remember the story. And um, it had to do with me being Asian. <laughs> and like the way, the way I look, like my eyes, you know, and that stuff. So I, I definitely think it played a role. Um, but now looking back, I wish I could go tell my younger self, be strong. <laughs> it's going to be okay. Cause I was bullied all the way up till high school and I wanted to get out of town so 
bad. That's why I graduated high school a year early because I was like, I'm leaving. I'm going to college. I'm over this. But it made me who I am today. Yeah, I think we recognize like those microaggressions as an adult. But when you're a kid, you don't know what they are. You just know you feel bad for how you're what. And there's so many different things that you can be bullied for. I was bullied a lot, and especially in middle school, where I get got to the point where I would call my mom and come pick me up, come pick oh me up. Gosh. I can't take it. And there's something when you are bullied, like I don't wish bullying on anybody. And I feel like kids in, nowadays get it to an extreme because we didn't have social media growing up. There was oh, no yeah. social media. I couldn't, I cannot imagine living as a teenager in the social media era, because I think I, I, uh, and I, and I don't say this lightly because I did make an attempt at my life when I was younger. I think mm-hmm. I probably really would have tried to do that if, because kids latch onto stuff. Kids can be cruel, right? Kids can be cruel, yes. but on social mm-hmm. media behind a keyboard, it's amplified so much more. And then you have people you never even met saying terrible things about you or even adults, which is so ridiculous. But I, I digress and I, and I'm so sad that you went through like bullying, but you said you graduated a year or early. Where did you go to school and where did you, I know, cause reading your bio, I saw um, a couple of things that you initially went into what you're doing now because you started with health and wellness, like nutrition and mm-hmm. exercise. But what was that path like when you went to college? Did you know like, hey, I think I want to be a doctor. I think I want to go into medicine. Like what was that kind of process like when you went to college? And what was just in general your college experience like after you left high school? I would imagine it would opened your eyes and hopefully it was more <laughs> accepting. <laughs> uh, it was a lot better. <laughs> Way better than high school. I mean, literally, I see your demeanor completely change as soon as you said that. I'm not kidding. (laughs) I guess I'm just thinking of all the happy memories. I'm like, oh, all these these friends I made, all the experiences I had. It's just, um, yeah. I mean, so I was pre-med and I knew I wanted to become a doctor. Just like I didn't know what I really wanted to specialize in. And um, it was like my junior year in college. Well, let me backtrack. So freshman year, I got into, no, let me backtrack again. High school, my aunt, um, she's my dad's sister. So she's super into like health. And she was a kickboxing instructor at one point. Um, She's super fit and eats so clean, all organic and stuff. So she kind of introduced me to that world. And from there, I developed this passion for uh, nutrition. (laughs) I really realized the power of like, you are what you eat and how food can have um, an effect on our health. And then I got into strength training and was lifting and eating right. And I felt so good. So then I was like, I want to make a career out of this. What can I do where like, it's so fun for me to do that stuff. And um, I, one day it was junior year of college. I Googled natural doctor. Cause I was like, I wonder if there's anything that kind of combines like medicine with a natural approach or more like, you know, holistic approach. And I found naturopathic medicine. Now, when you Google naturopathic medicine, you're going to find a lot of, a lot of articles and videos on the profession. 
good and bad. Right. And it's, it's, I mean, it kind of made me like, I was doing my research obviously before I applied because that school or that program is like pretty pricey. And I was like, okay, am I going to have a job after I graduate? How am I going to pay off uh, all this money or the loans that I take out to pay for the schooling? So I applied and got in and here I am. <laughs> I'm like <laughs> loving what I do. It was like, if I could go back and do it again, I would. So I know that when you go, because you're pre-med, obviously you have to take a lot of different things as any other doctor mm-hmm. would. Tell me about the program, because I know you said there are misconceptions in regards to what naturopathic medicine is. And, but tell me like the things that you actually had to go through that people are really not aware of, of yes. the things that you have to go through to become a naturopathic doctor. Okay. So one of the first requirements is to have a bachelor's degree. And on top of that, you have to have prerequisite courses. So I took all that fun stuff, chemistry, biology, um, anatomy and physiology, physics. So in, I think like algebra or some sort of math is is like a requirement too. I feel like it's an eternity ago. I can't remember (laughs) everything that I did, (laughs) but then you, uh, when you're in the program, so it's another four years of schooling and you have to, well, the first year is primarily science-based. So again, I'm taking like more chemistry courses and um, going over, like, I think I started learning pharmacology or like the basics of pharmacology my first year. So it's like embryology, histology, just studying the human body and knowing what a healthy body looks like. And then in second year, you're studying the pathology. So what disease looks like in the body and what to look out for. And I think second year, first and second year, we're in the clinic too. There's a school clinic and it's just observation. So you're just seeing what the other student clinicians are doing and um, kind of like learning from like the supervisors and from the student clinicians too. Third year is when we start studying or learning uh, the natural therapies in addition to all of the pharmaceutical drugs. So you start your third year um, and then you go into the clinic as a student clinician. So you're seeing patients and you're helping what we call the primary student clinicians, which are the fourth years. Those are the ones that are in charge of seeing patients and taking the patient cases. So you're helping them out. But there's some shifts where they're so busy that you need to step it up and take a patient. And it's really scary, (laughs) especially because it's your first time in the clinic and you're like, what am I doing? But everyone helps out, like we all work together to succeed. So there's also two board exams that I had to take. Um, The first one, it's uh, one full day of testing. That one you take after your second year of naturopathic medical school. And then the last or the second board exam that you have to take this, these are board exams that you have to take to get your license in order to practice medicine as a naturopathic doctor in North America. So the second one is three days of testing and you take that after you graduate. So I took a ton of exams um, and then a ton of trainings outside of school because I focus on holistic dermatology. So we don't learn that in school. We learn the basics about like skin, hair, and nails and how to treat that naturopathic ethically. But because I wanted to focus on it, I went uh, like 
above and beyond. I go to conferences with, for integrative dermatology, and then I also do aesthetic injections or aesthetic procedures. And I've done trainings with that and continue to do trainings with that. So the learning never stops, <laughs> even right. though I graduated. <laughs> yeah. So what do you think some of the biggest misconceptions are in regards to traditional Western medicine and naturopathic medicine? Because I know that there becomes a point where you integrate both, right? Depending on what people are doing. So it's not like you're just like, no, there's no Western medicine allowed (laughs) in this office. So like, what are some of those misconceptions? Oh my gosh. Okay. Where do I start? So so, um, one of the biggest misconceptions is that naturopathic doctors get their uh, degree online. So there's a difference between there's traditional naturopaths and then there's naturopathic doctors. And I feel like some people will use these terms interchangeably, but they haven't gone through the program. So there's only six accredited naturopathic medical schools in North America. And if you come across someone who says they're a naturopathic doctor, I even do this too. I go to their website and I try to find, or I go read their bio because a lot of times a true licensed naturopathic doctor will list their educational background and like say what school they went to. I've They're board certified, all of that, right? Yeah. Well, actually, so board certification is another, another thing. So there's only three board certification examinations that we're eligible to take. Um, and if you don't take those and you call yourself board certified, technically that's not the correct terminology. But there's other uh, organizations that I've come across that claim to give board certification for naturopathic medicine or whatever. And I have no clue how those organizations are run. So I feel like that plays into the confusion of what the heck is a naturopath? You're not even a real doctor. You're pretending to be a doctor sort of thing. Right. Um, Yeah. So going back to the whole schooling process, so we don't get our degree online. Another misconception is that we don't practice or we're not um, research-based or we don't practice evidence-based medicine in school and in the clinic for a lot of my shifts. Supervisors were like, if you don't have the research to back up your treatment plan, then we're not going to do the treatment. So I feel like um, now, especially there's more and more research coming out to support the like natural therapies for whatever condition. Like um, for instance, I wrote a paper on dysmenorrhea and that's like, what a menstrual irregularity. So there's a botanicals that help support and regulate your menstrual cycle. There's a lot of research supporting that. So we are evidence-based. There's a lot of research to support that natural therapies like botanicals can work and do work and can be a safer alternative or even more effective than medications. So um, another misconception is that we... We don't, I think you kind of said it already, but that we are anti-Western medicine. So I think this kind of depends on the individual too. But for the most part, naturopathic doctors, we need both Western medicine and naturopathic medicine. I think they work better together. So if you're, you should keep seeing your primary care doctor who's like an MD or a DO. But I think having a naturopathic doctor on your team too, um, depending on what sort of condition that you're trying to treat, can be really helpful. Do regular MDs and DOs 
And if like people don't understand, I actually used to see a DO, which is another type of doctor, but they're supposed to be a little bit more holistic, right? Aren't they supposed to be a little bit more yes. holistic? Do How do they feel when they're working with naturopathic doctors? Is there, does, do you find that there's been a true cohesiveness and teamwork there? Or do you feel like they want to, or at least the ones that you like, or just obviously you can only speak from your experience, or do you feel like they want to kind of shun you and look down on what you're doing? So far, every, well, like DO or MD that I've come across and I told them like, oh, I'm a traffic doctor. Um, they've been pretty supportive very supportive of what we do. They're like, this is the future of medicine, like integrative, holistic care. Um, and I mean, we have a medical director at the clinic. So I work, I have my own business, Lissari Natural Medicine, where I do like virtual consultations, but then I work under my fiance to do the aesthetic procedures. And we have a DO who is our medical supervisor's director. So he's like all about what we do and really supportive. So I know that there's some people I've heard where maybe they're seeing a patient and they try to get in contact with their PCP, primary care physician or whatever. And there's kind of like, they don't want to work. They don't want to, they don't want to like their patient to see the naturopathic doctor. So I think it's, it depends a lot. Yeah. So you're saying you work with your fiance on some of the aesthetic stuff. What does your fiance do and that you guys work together? Yeah. So he's a naturopathic doctor too, and he owns his practice. So we have three locations. Um, there's two in Palm Springs and then we have one here in Encinitas, but we actually are temporarily moving to Carlsbad right now. Um, yeah. I saw I your think, Instagram. You're like, we're moving. I'm like, where are they moving yeah. to? Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. There's so much moving right now. So injectables like Botox filler are considered prescription medications. And in the state of California, we can prescribe medications, but it has to be under a medical supervisor. So working under my fiance at his clinic is a way for me to be able to offer aesthetic procedures. Gotcha. Yeah. So, I mean, that's kind of a way of Western medicine, right? Like in regards to injectables and fillers and stuff like that, that's not this. Mm-hmm. So like you said, you, you're not opposed to Western medicine. What things do you normally see? Cause I know you say you concentrate mostly on dermatology, naturopathic medicine. What are the other, like, what do you feel like the differences are when you're going for dermatology, like traditional versus naturopathic? Yeah. So my approach is a holistic approach focused on treating and or identifying and treating the root cause of your skin condition. So Compared to a conventional dermatologist, you might go and present your symptoms, what you're dealing with, and then they're going to prescribe you medication, whether it's oral or topical. So my approach instead is, well, there's six naturopathic principles that kind of lay the foundation for how naturopathic medicine works and how a doctor should approach treating a patient. And one of them is, above all else, do no harm. So I try not to rely on medications right away. My approach is focusing on the basics, which I consider the the foundations of health, basic lifestyle. So your diet, how's your diet? Are you exercising regularly? Are you getting, um, how's your sleep? Are you getting enough sleep? How's your stress level? Things like that. So really focusing on that because I think I've said this before on my Instagram, but it's the best like way I can describe it is that 
if we don't have our foundations in order, think of it like um, building a house on a broken foundation. It's not going to last very long. It's not going to be that sturdy. So you want to create a really strong foundation before you go and try or like start taking a bunch of supplements or herbs or whatever natural modality you're given or trying out. Right now, are you finding, because you, right now you don't accept insurance, right? Like how does that work in regards to, because I know we've, we've talked a little bit in regards to certain things that I'm going through, which I was like, I need to talk to Marilyn again, (laughs) but in regards to how, how naturopathic medicine is viewed when it comes to insurance terms and everything like that. One, so it's a double question. One, do you think that prevents people who would want to see a naturopathic doctor? Do you think that prevents them from seeing it? And two, how do you work with those people that may not necessarily upfront that really want to see a naturopathic doctor, but may not necessarily have like the upfront cash to be able to do that? Do you work with those people? How do you kind of, how does that work in your practice? Yeah, that's a great question. So it's, all very political. Um, right now, naturopathic doctors are not licensed in all 50 states. So there are certain states like California is one of the states where we're licensed and regulated. California also, we cannot accept insurance, but there are other states like uh, Oregon, Washington, I think New Mexico. Uh, there's some, I think a couple other places where naturopathic doctors are considered primary care physicians and can accept insurance or certain types of insurance. So um, being primarily cash-based, I feel like it does with certain people. It does um, kind of a, maybe it's kind of a barrier to accessing naturopathic medicine or naturopathic care. But I feel like if that's an issue, naturopathic doctors can find a way to work with someone. Or if they can't personally, then we have a great referral network where we all talk to each other. So we'll try to help out as best as we can or like give resources if a patient can't afford our care. That, I mean, I think that's really great. We need to do something to get that changed in California because it's crazy that I you're know. regulated and everything and but you can't accept insurance. And you're right. Like healthcare should not be politicized. To me, that's crazy that healthcare is politicized. And I think actually that kind of goes into my next question because Obviously, this year has been a dumpster fire of a year just in general with with COVID and with people not, you know, working from home. And I think some things have shifted maybe permanently and things have not. But one of the things like I, my sister is a nurse practitioner in a ICU in a hospital in Orange County. So she's been working a lot with these COVID patients and she recently just said how mad she was because she's like, here we are in ICU and emergency rooms. We have all these people that we're taking care of that like, don't give a crap. That's like, she was Mm. so really upset who don't want to wear a mask, who don't want to do this and don't, but how has COVID and I'll, and I'll follow up with another question, but initially how has COVID affected or changed your practice and what people are reaching out to you for? Uh, so with COVID, it's it's an interesting year because this is my first year of practice. Um, and I was kind of already planning to be virtual with my consultations. So it really didn't affect that as much. And then when it comes to aesthetic procedures, I think um, there was definitely, there's definitely some slow times 
But then surprisingly, I've been pretty busy, especially in Palm Springs. Like, <laughs> it's very interesting. That kind of doesn't surprise me. I'm not going <laughs> to I know. <laughs> but it's good. It's, with the aesthetic world, it's it's, it's a, like a kind of a good time in a way to get whatever you want done because you're wearing a mask. So if you got bruises or something, like no one can see it or <laughs> see that you got something done uh, right away. But yeah. And I mean, with COVID, of course, like in our clinic, we had a, we follow CDC guidelines and we had to start implementing those. So like, even if patients come in and I see them, I'm very, very safe. I'm, I'm like a germaphobe, like either, like regardless of COVID, like even before this happened, I'm just like making sure everything's clean and sterile. Um, but it's like this time it's like, all right, wiping down everything, disinfecting, sanitizing, having the HEPA air filter, because I do have my patients, they have to take their mask off for some of the procedures. So making sure that, uh, the air is clean, that they're breathing in. Right. So mm -hmm. now one of the things that I feel like was not, has not really been talked about. And like I said, I've, I've actually lost two people to COVID during this time. Oh. So um, and, and knowing a lot of like my sister's a nurse practitioner I actually have a lot of physician friends and everything like that. But the one thing that I feel and we've all talked about this that is not necessarily talked about is, you know, we talk about if you're at a risk factor, you, you know, obviously your chances of getting COVID and people are like, well, if you're this, this, but more than half of our country is considered obese. And that's already mm -hmm. a risk factor for catching COVID mm -hmm. and for having complications from COVID. So literally when you think about it, right, if half of our country is considered obese, half of our country is at risk. So when we have people saying all yeah. these other things, I get really frustrating because I'm like, you realize obesity is a factor and half of our country is obese. So half of our country is at high risk for getting, for having complications from COVID. So the one thing that I feel like wasn't talked about a lot and hasn't been talked about a lot is our day-to-day -day health. How, how are we, how are we living? How, like the things that we, like you said from the beginning, how is the food that we're eating? How is getting out? Because one of the things they said is get out, walk, get some sun, all of these things. But that is like a, a part of having like a total healthy lifestyle. And I, I'm not always healthy. I know that I have work to do because just in general, right? And I and I get that and I understand that. But one of the things that I know you said in regards to what your why is, is that you said you've watched loved ones suffer the consequences of poor lifestyle choices. And that you were also guilty of that. So when all of these things in regards to COVID come up, what are your first thoughts in regards to easy steps easy things that people can do to start shifting to have a healthier style to help bring down their chances. Because I think for me, the scariest part of COVID is you just don't know how your body's going to react. Mm -hmm. It's because some people, like there was somebody who was like 90 something years old that fully recovered. And then you have somebody who's 30, healthy, no seemingly underlying things that has to get intubated or passes away or anything like that. So we just don't know, but no, like what are the small things that we can do that are, that are reachable that we, that we can start doing to help decrease our chances of having complications should somebody get COVID? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So with this, like, this is the time 
to start caring about your health. And you have to start with the basics. Like you have to, like people, um, there was like, you know, articles going around you like about supplements saying like, you have to take this, like vitamin C, zinc, vitamin D, all this stuff to stay healthy. But if you're eating like crap all the time, if you're going getting fast food every day and not taking care of your body, that those supplements are going to be like a waste of your money and your time in a way, like they can help, but they won't be as effective if you are focusing on a cleaner diet. Now for people who um, are so used to this lifestyle where they're eating that or like uh, eating a lot of processed food, junk food or drinking soda have that have developed those habits. It can be really hard to stop that cold turkey. So all for like an easy way, I would say just start, start with your plate and start with just increasing your veggie consumption. We want to eat a variety of colorful fruits and vegetables because a, di- a diverse array of col- colorful, I can't talk right now, a col- of colorful fruits and vegetables is what will help our gut flora flourish. So everything, all disease begins in the gut. That's what Hippocrates once said. Gut health is really important right now. And there's that saying that's really famous. I, I said it earlier, but you are what you eat. But in reality, you are what your bacteria eat. So everything that you're consuming is either um, helping or hurting your gut and your gut bacteria. And that in turn, um, like say you're eating the junk food, processed food all the, all the time, drinking soda all the time, you're not doing your gut any favors. You're actually hurting it and you're contributing to maybe even chronic low-grade inflammation that's going on. And we don't want that. We So eating increasing your veggie intake and then fiber. Fiber is really important. So root veggies are a really good source of fiber, not white potatoes. Don't go buy a whole bunch of white potatoes and think that you're getting your fiber in. But I'm talking about, um, you go to the grocery store, there's so many recipes on Google that you can look up for root veggie, even if you've never heard of it. Like I really love burdock root, Jerusalem artichokes, um, parsnips are really great. So Finding. I've never had any of those. I'm not going <gasps> to lie. I've never oh, you had have to try some. Oh my yeah. gosh. Share like, a recipe. Favorite, yeah. Send me a recipe and I will share <laughs> it with everybody else. Maybe we'll have a day where we all make it and we'll get on a Zoom call and be like, let's let's try this out. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Let's oh my gosh. Everybody's recipe. Let's see how everybody's looks. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I love that. Um, but fiber... Fiber is really great because it it helps not only bind like toxins and help with eliminating those from the body, but fiber is like, especially the root veggies are uh, also considered like a prebiotic food. So that means that prebiotics feed the good bacteria in your gut. So Um, what if somebody were to take like, uh, what about like fiber drinks or anything like that? Like if they took Metamucil or fiber pills or anything, how are... Are those okay to take? Yeah, those would be fine. Um, I would just say food is always going to be the best source if you can. But if you need a little extra help, the supplement would be fine. Um, another way or another source of fiber that I like to do that's really quick and easy is like taking chia seeds. Or you can even do flax seeds too. Mm-hmm. Um, about two tablespoons in a glass of water. Or um, you can do like cold-pressed orange juice or something like that. 
don't do anything that's too sugary, um, especially during this time because sugar kills our immune system. Like Greek yogurt. When I would make my Greek yogurt, I would put it in there. But I also take, now I do um, Shakeology, which has all of that. For me, that's like, I'm not a big, I make breakfast every once in a while, but for me, Shakeology, and when I went to my PCP, she was like, keep taking it because it has like so many concentrated things and superfoods and everything in there. Yeah. But <laughs> oh, that's great. You? Yeah. So let me ask you a question because I know you know you do the dermatology side. How is like the collagen, like the collagen powders, are those good for you? Because I know like right now that's like a big thing. Are those good for you or are there other ways to be able to get collagen because obviously that helps with well what are all the things that collagen helps with in our external ways of getting that are those good yeah I mean collagen that is what makes our skin or gives us that like youthful look that um, collagen and elastin fibers in particular will give us like that nice youthful glow so we need collagen otherwise when collagen breaks down then the skin gets saggy wrinkles start forming um, so we don't want that. Now with the collagen supplements, I'm a little wary about them. I feel like I have to do more research. I'm always like reading up on it and trying to learn more about it. But I mean, I feel like it's kind of a marketing gimmick in a way mm-hmm. because your body's going to take that and break it down anyways. And then it's going to put the nutrients where they're needed. Mm-hmm. So I would say focusing on like more, maybe like vitamin C rich foods because vitamin C helps is needed for collagen production and so collagen production so focusing oh i'm so glad i asked that because it is like i see it everywhere i see people Mm -hmm. like oh i'm taking my collagen i'm taking and i've never bought it my mom i don't know if she still drinks it or not but she was putting it like in her coffee and i was always wondering i'm like is this real or like do you really need extra or is there natural ways of producing collagen so vitamin c rich foods Vitamin C helps kickstart whatever creates the collagen. Yes. Gotcha. I'm so glad you said that. I'm so glad. But I'm so glad you, you're honest and you're like, I need to do more research because you there's mm-hmm. not, I don't think, I haven't seen anything. Not that I'm somebody who goes and researches medical people, medical story. <laughs> you know, but I had already been wondering, what are the top things that you see, the top no-nos that you've been kind of seeing that people are doing right now that you feel like is a marketing ploy? Oh, the top no-nos? Like when it comes to skin or when it comes to like... Either or. It could be anything. both or, or, you know, however, oh whatever. Oh my gosh. Scene, you're like, oh my gosh, please people do not fall for that. <laughs> I know there are some, but because I'm put on the spot and like, <laughs> <laughs> what... I don't know. Like, I know I know some because there's been times, but I don't like keep track of them. I would say like with skincare products, maybe like, um, like using like coffee scrubs are really big, uh, like really common. And like, you know, like people are like talking about exfoliating stuff, but I'm looking at it from the perspective of, okay, um, our skin is pretty kind of sensitive and like we have the skin barrier which the skin barrier is composed you could say of like three com- um, components there's the lipid barrier and the skin ph or the acid mantle so, so the skin is more on the acidic side it's somewhere between four and six usually 
Um, and then and the, the lower the pH, the higher the acidity, right? Is that how it works? Yes. So. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. I don't know and- much, but I do remember <laughs> that. <laughs> I had to think about that for a second. I was like, wait. <laughs> yes, you're right. Uh, so, and then the third component is a skin microbiome. So not only does our gut have a microbiome, but our skin has one too. And there's, they're all over the body. But so something that's like rough, like a coffee scrub, a lot of times when like, even though it's ground up, those little particles are still like pretty big for our skin and create little micro tears in the skin. And I think it can be, um, do more harm than good. Is that no matter where on the body? Or are you talking particularly of the face? Particularly the face. Uh, I think for the body, it's fine. But I also think it depends on how sensitive your skin are. You just, you just have to guess, test it out and see yeah. how your body reacts. Because, I mean, there's so many different companies that make coffee scrubs or things like that. Oh, I so, have one. But it makes... And it's for the body. But it makes such a mess. That's why I hardly ever use oh, it. Because yeah. when you rinse it off, <laughs> you have freaking coffee grounds all over your tub or your shower. And I'm like... yeah. <laughs> I just washed this and I just cleaned this tub and now I got oh coffee grounds all over. <laughs> I know it's so messy, <laughs> but it smells good. So. It does. It does. I'm not going to lie. And if I need to find out, you know what? I need to look for a place that somebody like a, a wine scrub that somebody like oh. within the, that makes it within the community that, you know, within communities of color, somebody comes from, community of color that makes a wine scrub. I don't know if I found that. I'm going to have to look for that because, I mean, hello, how could I not support that? Right? Yeah. (laughs) Oh, it has to exist. It has has to. to. People joke because I just turned 43 last month or now this comes out, it'll be two months. Yeah. Uh And so people always joke because nobody ever thinks I'm my age. They always think I'm a lot younger. Yeah. So I said, well, you know, like, a fine wine ages very well. <laughs> so it's the wine that keeps me that that does that for me. But then I also joke it's because I'm not married and don't have any kids. Like, <laughs> I don't have that extra stress. Yeah. But what is your secret? Well, I've never been married and I don't have any kids and I drink a lot of wine. <laughs> and I always and then I follow it up with I don't ever go to sleep with makeup and I drink a lot of water. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> there you go. If you want the secret to you. Don't be married. Don't have kids. Drink wine, <laughs> drink water and always wash your face. <laughs> oh my gosh. I love it. <laughs> no, it's totally horrible. That's not what I expected, but you know, life, life is what it is. So I know you said you do other services. So you do the dermatology stuff and then you also do aesthetic services. What are the other types of services that you offer do you, do you do a step outside of the dermatology, dermo, dermo I'm just going to totally butcher this. It's the wine. I'm going to blame it on the wine. Yeah, it's all good. Dermatological <laughs> things as far as what you're doing in your practice. Yeah. In the beginning I did, I used to, but now I've really like niched down or niched, however, however you want to say it. But you're actually uh, doing on something right on now, skin. right? You're doing something like a like tell explain because I saw that you're doing something oh. very 
specific to people yes. like within adult acne and everything like that. Mm-hmm. Explain what you're kind of the program that you're putting together. This is the first time you're putting this program together. And I yeah. know people that have suffered from adult acne. So I would love for you to explain what you're doing. So people, if they want to be able to reach out, maybe part, whether it's this round or another round or whatever, mm-hmm. be able to participate. Yeah. So as of right now, the only option to work with me was like one to one on one work. And then I was like, hmm, because, you know, like not everyone we talked about, not everyone can afford that or has a means to like be able to see an ashbatic doctor for their skin. So I was like um, really looking into group coaching because that's becoming more popular uh, in the in the medical field now, or at least with a group that I follow. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like, really? Wow, that's interesting. But yeah, that is interesting. <laughs> Yeah. And I mean, it makes total sense because you can see multiple people at once, help educate them and guide them uh, for whatever their concern is or whatever the group is for. So you can help more people at once and it doesn't cost as much as seeing someone one-on-one or a doctor one-on-one. So I created or I'm working on this group coaching program right now for women with adult acne who have been dealing with it for months or years. So pretty much like chronic acne. And this can be women who either are anti-medications, they don't want to go that route, or women who have tried all the medications and didn't help at all with their acne. Or maybe it did help for a little bit. And then once they went off of it or while they're taking it, maybe it like it stopped working for them. So Naturopathic medicine or naturopathic dermatology is like a route that I think a lot of women don't know exists yet. Um, so I'm trying to help spread that word because this is another option for them to take to try where it's focusing on healing the skin from within rather than taking a medication and just trying to heal it or like slap a bandaid on and call it a day. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really more of a long term result that we're focused on like a, a long-term end goal. And then I'm teaching women how and giving them the resources on how to achieve clear skin, but most importantly, how to achieve healthy skin and maintain that moving forward. So this group coaching program is six weeks and um, each week there's going to be a new module release. There's talk about the basic lifestyle. So like what's the best lifestyle for healthy skin or clear skin detox protocols in there because we want to wipe the slate clean before we start diving in and like um, really fixing and healing the body and the skin. And then there's going to be focus on gut health. It's a gut healing protocol, hormone balancing protocol. And then lastly, it's talk about how to maintain a healthy skin barrier and like what to watch out for in your skincare products and personal care products that may be contributing to your acne that we need to get rid of and swap with something cleaner. That is awesome because there's so many people that, and then you have people that are, have very sensitive skin that they've probably gone through things. Yes. And as soon as they do it, they're breaking out even more or anything like that. So to be able to have something where it starts from the inside out, I think is so mm-hmm. awesome. If people are interested in participating, how can they reach you? Yes. Yeah, so um, they can go to my website. There's going to be an email list that they can join to stay notified. So this first group, let me see, by the time January comes, the program will already be running. So I'm looking to launch the second group in 
like end of February, beginning March. So there's going to be a mailing list that they can join if they want to stay notified of when that starts and like get all the details on the program. We'll it's on my website. Sure to, I'll give a list or a yeah, link. We'll, yeah. yeah. We'll make sure to include your social media link and your website on the show notes so people can, you know, stay up to date in regards to how they do that. For people that aren't part of that, but still want to take care of their skin. Like I'm somebody who loves taking care of my skin. In fact, before I did a mask, I did a a purple clay (laughs) mask right before today. Yes. So what are the top things that you think? Because obviously, unless you're seeing somebody, there's, it's hard to, you can't like determine everything for everybody. But what are some of the top things that people should be mindful when they're taking care of their skin? Like good things and not so good things. Oh, yeah. So good things. Um, you should always wear an SPF and not just any SPF, but like one that's mineral based with zinc, because we don't want the extra chemicals and toxins being absorbed into our bloodstream because pretty much everything that you apply topically, whatever it is, lotion, medication, uh, cream, gel, it's being absorbed into your body. So do you always have wear particular brands that are very yes. zinc based. I- Um, yeah, so I like, I have, I think I have a post on my Instagram too, if people want to see some like examples, but Naturopathica has a really good one. They have, um, it smells like lavender. It's an SPF 18. So it's kind of low. So that's when you would have to reapply more frequently. Um, but there's also SPF 50 and then Badger is another company that makes non-toxic sunscreens. They're pretty affordable. I think you can get it the like a face sunscreen for around $10 or like cheaper than that badger um like mm-hmm. the animal yeah it's like <laughs> badger's company or something <laughs> then there's this company called Carrie Grand this one i personally use because it's a face oil so but it's also spf so it kind of like feeds two birds with one scone and i'm like such a big fan of face oils so anything where i'm like oh okay one and done I love, wait, let me just back up really quick. I like how you say it, instead of saying we're going to hit two birds with one stone, you said it feeds two birds with one scone. I like how you changed that up. Yeah. (laughs) I noticed, I noticed, I was like, oh, I've never heard that. I think that's- We're not going to kill them. We're going to feed them. (laughs) (laughs) That is hilarious. I always go out with SPF, but the SPF I was using, first of all, I got for free, but it's, I was using Mm -hmm. Kula, but it's really expensive. Kula is really expensive. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I can't afford $30 like for sunscreen every month. I'm sorry. I just can't. Yeah. Because you know, we, I think also when you're putting on sunscreen, you have to make sure you're applying it liberally, not just like a little bit. Mm -hmm. So Yes, if you can send a link to those uh, or just send me the names and I'll create a link with all those. Yeah, I'll do that. Those as well. And then what are some of the no-nos in regards to skincare? Some of the biggest no-nos. No-nos. Um, don't put coconut oil on your face. That is comedogenic. And I think people, I notice that it's in a lot of like non-toxic, some creams and then makeup products. There's coconut oil. So if you break out a lot, uh, Definitely don't do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, anything with mineral oil, I know they still use that. I don't know why they still use mineral oil, but in some products, watch out for that. That one is also not good for the skin. Um, 
using something that's really harsh on your skin. Like I mentioned a coffee scrub, but like any kind of scrub that has really big particles, um, it's not really ground well. Yeah. Don't do that because you're going to disrupt the skin barrier, create micro tears and inflammation in the skin. How often, because I like the little, um, the silicone brushes. Are those good for your face? And how often should you do them? Wait, silicone brushes. Like they're the, like the vibrating. I forget the Olea or no, I don't forget the brand, but they are like little round brush things and they vibrate a little bit and they're silicone. So they're not like super harsh on your skin, but you usually do it with face wash or something. Oh, I think I, I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah. That how one? are those for your skin? And if you do those, if you use those, how often, because we still need to exfoliate our skin, right? So how often mm-hmm. should you use those? Honestly, I've never used one and I haven't had patients ask me that question. So I don't know. Yes, oops, sorry. Um, yes, you've never been asked. I know. Um, but I mean, like, yes, you do want to exfoliate so we don't let dead skin cells and dirt and things build up in our pores. But I would say like anytime you wear makeup, especially at the end of the day, do that. Um, also like as an alternative to like the other big uh, exfoliators, something that's like more gentle, like um, jojoba beads or jojoba, jojoba, however you say that I word. Jojoba. Jojoba. I, I don't know, but that's what I think. <laughs> say jojoba, <laughs> it doesn't sound right. Um, there's some cleansers with that as like a very gentle exfoliation. Gotcha. And then um, there was one other question I wanted to ask about, because especially, you know, me, I'm in that age where I've all, that's one thing I've definitely always taken care of is my face. Like I'm always joking. I'm like this, is the money maker. Well, okay. <laughs> yes. Look, and it, you can't you look change. great. Look, I can change how heavy I am, how, you know, how much weight I'm carrying that can be changed. This I've not ever. Now I will say this. I've not ever had Botox. I've not ever had filters, filters, I guess that I've used filters. I've never had yeah. filters. So, but, and I do always wear sunscreen because I know that's super important, but I think, and I'm not saying like I'm against any of that right now. I'm like, I don't think I need it. I'm 43 and I think I still like, you don't need it. Look no. pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Let me give myself a pat I- on the back. <laughs> No, I don't think it's for everyone. I don't think everyone should be like rushing to go get Botox and filler. Like the way I, I'm very conservative with it. And I'll like talk to patients about all the options um, and be up front. Have you ever they don't need it don't down need it. for that. Um, there's been some where we just talked about an alternative, like mm-hmm. PRP microneedling, great alternative to Botox, more natural, much safer. How do you feel about those home ones? You know how they have the little rollers with the microneedles? If people yes, that's do- a no-no. Okay, that's a there's no-no a that I wasn't thinking of. Um, don't do that. Oh my gosh, because I don't think people clean them right. Like, not saying people are dirty, but like you know, like this little derma roller is making little micro injuries in your skin, and then like, um, who knows if you're really disinfecting it right or sanitizing it, and then like if you're touching your face without clean hands or something, it's just don't even bother. I would say go to a professional. <laughs> go to um well, med so or needles like, in your face why would yes you i don't trust myself to put needles in my face well you know what there are um 
I saw this and I was like, what the heck? I think there's home kits where you can give yourself filler. And I was like, don't do that. No, don't do that. Yes. I went on YouTube and it popped up in like one of my video recommendations. Like some, someone was just like, I got to like, it was like either filler or something that something that you should just be going to see, like someone, a, a trained aesthetic injector or something to see. I was like, that's so jade rollers are okay. Jade rollers. Are oh okay. yeah. I love jade rollers. Those are good. Gouache jaws. Okay. Good. Nice. Yes. Cause I, I do that too. You know, fill it. <laughs> okay. So let me ask. Okay. So let me ask for my, for my, my over 40 ladies like myself. Mm-hmm. Here is where I, I like I, my face still looks good. I'm starting to, but I get lines and I think it's because I'm top heavy too. And I don't always sleep mm-hmm. on my back. Stuff like this, like if you're getting lines on your neck and on your décolleté, right? Am I saying that correct? Décolletage? Décolletage, whatever. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. I'm Mexican. I'm not French. (laughs) Whatever. Like I've seen those silicone patch things that you can buy. How are Mm -hmm. the, like, are those good? Are those bad? What can be done to help with that? area because I feel like that area when you do get a certain age that kind of you can tell the age there more than anything else yeah the silicone things is that like a face mask for your neck or something yeah or like yeah they're like face they have some that go in between like for your decolletage or decollete (laughs) whatever the hell it's called and for your neck they have those yeah I don't know how much those will help yeah (laughs) maybe it'll help a little bit um like right away, like an instant plumping effect. I don't know. I think uh, I've done microneedling for the neck. That works really well because you're, you're um, especially with PRP, PRP is platelet-rich plasma. So it's taken from your own blood. And that one is rich in growth factors. So it helps stimulate the your body's, their own collagen production and el- uh, elastin production. Okay. So that's what's going to lump it up and um, using something that's like with hyaluronic acid or like hyaluronic acid is very natural. Our body even makes it. Um, that one gives a plumping, hydrating effect too. So what about the lines right here? The lines in yeah, between. Yeah, those lines. Honestly, microneedling is, <laughs> you can microneedle <laughs> anything. Microneedling is really helpful for that. There's another machine or like a medical facial. It's called the Oxygenio Facial. That one, there's three treatments. There's one for balance, which is like for oily, acting from skin. And then there's one for, um, it's called Revive. Mm-hmm. And that one is for aging skin. And that one helps plump up the skin and help with fine lines and wrinkles. But with the fine lines in your, this area on your chest and your decolletage, that one is kind of called like crepey looking skin. Mm-hmm. So another thing is Microtox, Microbotox. That one helps, I don't know exactly how it works, but you're not injecting into a, mus- a muscle, you're injecting it very superficially in the skin. So it's not gonna like paralyze anything, but it helps smooth I mean, out the skin. Good. If this if this is, I don't know what's happening. I'm not Terry Crews where <laughs> this is moving anyways. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just, just what happens when we start aging and things start I know. sagging. Look, this is the part like, where I'm like, yes, let's girl, Marilyn <laughs> might be like, Let's fix this up. Let's fix this up. Time to beautify. (laughs) So when I asked you to describe your life in one word, you said passionate. Tell me why you chose that word. 
I'm living my passion. Everything I've ever wanted in my life, I've gotten up to this point and I'm doing what I love. Like I'm very fortunate to have a profession where um, it's something that I'm also passionate about. And I mean, those, those, those are like the first word that came to mind. It's just like, I'm living my dream life. <laughs> That's awesome. I love that. And have you, cause I know you've been busy with everything, but have you been able to find a new hobby during this time of COVID? Something that you're like, okay, now, you know, I've never tried this before. Let me try it. Or what have you, have you been able to do one of those or find one of those? Well, you know what? I signed up for this new, I guess it's like a program or something you could say. It's um, called To Be Magnetic. So it's interesting. It's all about um, manifesting, but doing it in a way where um, you're changing the neuroplasticity of how the way you think and how your subconscious thinks to manifest what you want in life. It's really neat and really bizarre. I mean, it's... I don't even know how to explain it. It's something I'm still getting used to, but I think her name is Lacey Phillips. It's her like thing. And she has a podcast too, which is really cool. But she talks about, um, you know how manifesting, like we're told, like you just have to speak what you want out to the universe and then you'll yes. get what you want. But don't think any negative comments or don't think of any negative thoughts because that might happen. But yes, oh like gosh. every time I think of yeah. something negative, I'm like, wait, let me think of something. Yeah. <laughs> but I know that's the same way I was. But she's saying, don't worry, because we're not that powerful to <laughs> manifest something bad for us to happen. So it's it's really neat. And she's just saying like, the universe wants us to be living our most authentic selves. Um, so it's really about like reprogramming your, your brain on a subconscious level to manifest what you want in life. Very interesting. So that's like my new thing that I'm working through right now, her like little <laughs> workshops and programs. <laughs> like, why not? This is interesting. Sure. Um, last question, because we start with wine and we end with wine, we bookend the, the things. So what is your favorite type of wine? And do you have a particular type of brand? So it's red, white, rosé, or even sparkling. And do you have a particular mm -hmm. label that you prefer? Okay. Um, so I love white wine. <laughs> oh, I, it's, it's between like, I like the sweeter wine. So I love Moscato, even though I know that's like a dessert wine. Oh, um, there's this brand. Do you like that too? No, I don't like sweet wine. So oh. I, have a bo I have a bottle I can gift you. A <gasps> Moscato that somebody brought oh. over and I was like, Oh, let's have this rosé. Cause this rosé is actually really good. Uh -huh. So well, we, well, we may have to have a little trade. <laughs> yes. I'll give to the, I don't like Moscato at all. Oh, okay. Yeah. I will. I'll take it. <laughs> uh, but there's this brand. I can't remember the name of it. I think it starts with a B, but it's a blue bottle and there's a map of Italy on it. The boot. So that one's my favorite one. Nice. <laughs> well, Marilyn, thank you so much for coming on and thank honestly thank you for being like supporting literally since the beginning because you were <laughs> at the you know I think I have a picture from of us from the launch party yeah so, we took one <laughs> yes I, I'm pretty yeah I have that so literally you have been supporting me in the podcast since inception since launch so thank you I know it took a long time 
I I knew for a while, and I, I don't think I had ever told you, I knew for a while I wanted to have you on the podcast, but with everything happening and then with the new year, I was like, you know what? I think this is the perfect time. It's always about timing, right? I was like, I think this is the perfect time to talk about because I feel like people are starting to look more at natural remedies and ways that they can do things more naturally before turning to pills before not everybody, but I think there's definitely been a shift. And I was like, well, I happen to know a naturopathic doctor. So (laughs) let me tell Mary, let me ask me. So we'll come on. So I appreciate you coming on. Oh, and I remember, uh, I have a free handout for natural immune support. So I'll send you a link to that as well. So people can download it because it has tips for like how to stay healthy and how to support your immune system during this time. Oh my gosh. That's so what we need right now, girl. I will be blasting that out everywhere because that's, (laughs) that is what is needed. Marilyn, thank you so much. You're so awesome. Thank you for having me. (laughs) I know this was fun. this episode of the Wine and Cheese My Podcast. For more information on Dr. Marilyn Marla, please see the show notes for links to websites and social media channels. Check out all things Wine and Cheese My on our website, thewineandcheesemypodcast.com. There, you will find the names of the wines I drink each episode, as well as an additional information on me, the podcast, and you can even apply to be a guest straight from there. You can also find us on Instagram at The Wine and Cheesemate and Facebook at The Wine and Cheesemate Podcast. Remember, if you want to hear more Wine and Cheesemate, please subscribe, rate, and review. Five-star ratings are always appreciated and positive reviews are appreciated even more. Until next time, mi gente, saludos!